Good morning, folks, and thank you for tuning in to The Global Current on 89.5 FM WSOU, the School of Diplomacy and International Relations weekly podcast. This is your host, Valentina Orejarena. Welcome to the show. We're keeping it current with two of our own City and Hall students, Hamza Khan and Mark Gorman. As the School of Diplomacy's premier podcast, we break down a new topic in international news each week and ask the question, is diplomacy the answer? This week, we will be focusing on the recent attacks in France claiming to be quote-unquote Islamic extremists and what the French government will be doing about it. We will be dissecting this topic as each of our analysts argue their respective sides on whether diplomacy is the answer to this international dilemma. Later, we will have our briefer give us an update on what else is going on this week. Now, our briefer, Jackie Ballard, will give us an overview of this week's topic. Thank you, Valentina. Within the last eight years, France has suffered 36 Islamic State-inspired terrorist attacks, including two that killed more than 200 people. Because of this, the relationship between France and its six million Muslim citizens has been fraught with tension for years. Additionally, France is an extremely secular country that practices complete separation of church and state, which has led to further incidents between people of faith and the French government. With that being said, on Friday, October 16th, an 18-year-old Muslim man beheaded the French school teacher Samuel Patty for showing caricatures of the Prophet Muhammad in class. These caricatures go against the Islamic religion because they portray the Prophet Muhammad in an offensive way. Due to the beheading, there has been an extreme crackdown in France on French Muslims. New regulations have, have been imposed, such as the following. Shutting down a mosque, conducting several raids against suspected Islamic extremists, shutting down several Muslim aid groups for spreading Islamic rhetoric, searching more than 120 individual homes, establishing plans to target terrorist funding, beginning new support funding for teachers to effectively teach freedom of speech, and putting on pressure on social media companies to police content more effectively. Because of this, tensions between Muslim countries and France have worsened. For example, Muslim nations have called for a boycott of French goods. In Turkey specifically, the President Erdogan has specifically condemned France's actions. In Bangladesh, 40,000 people participated in an anti-French rally, and other Muslim countries, such as Pakistan, have spoken out against France's actions. These actions have several implications for the French government and France's Muslim citizens, such as alienation and hatred toward them. This is also creating a large political gap between the left and the right. The right is accused of being Islamophobic, while the left is accused of appeasement and of being anti-patriotic and anti-democratic. Thank you so much, Jackie. All right, let's get to it. Thank you both for joining me here via video chat, Hamza and Mark. So I guess my first question is, uh, if you could elaborate more on what are the President's Emmanuel Macron's new proposals for anti-separism laws, and how would they work, and what is he trying to achieve exactly? Okay, well, I can go first. So. One of some of his different uh, suggestions are to place mosques under more government control and require that imams are trained in France rather than abroad. And he wants Islamic organizations that receive government funding to sign a secular charter so that they can't promote Islamic values over French values. That's his intent. And then he wants organizations that push ideas that are contrary to French ideals to be disbanded, which doesn't sound like freedom of speech to me, but that's one of his proposals. And then he's also announced more funding for education because he wants to 
one of his main goals is to integrate the Muslim community into France more. And he thinks that education is the way to do that. So he wants to add more funding so that uh, free speech and other things, French ideals can be taught in schools and so that Muslims can attend public schools rather than religious private schools. And he said homeschooling would be limited. So so he's like limiting how uh, parents can just homeschool their kids anymore. They can't do that anymore to the same extent as they did before. And his main goal is to liberate French Islam from foreign influences, which is what he says. And he thinks that he, he really made a speech where he said he wants to reform Islam to fit in with French ideals, which many Muslims did not like that because that goes against what they, they, they feel like it's an attack on their religion. Thank you, Hamza. Yeah, for sure. That does sound like they're just pushing an agenda now, their own agenda, which may be, um, you know, what they think for the better of France, but in the long term, it doesn't seem very productive or are good for the people and their ideals that they're quote unquote trying to achieve. Mark, yeah, especially the Muslims. So I remember in researching this topic specifically, it was brought up how in France, you know, um, Holocaust denialism is something that's banned as a topic of discussion. And yet it's seen as okay to caricature and make fun of the Prophet Muhammad and many Muslims in France take issue with that because it's kind of seen as like on one hand it's like you're being respectful to Judaism but on the other hand you're not being respectful to Islam and it's there's also kind of this uh, problem that uh, France seems to have in that um, there's a, an issue that France has with uh, the way they talk about this topic. You know, um, you look at the way Macron talks about uh, making uh, Islam compatible with France and things like that. And it really seems to hurt the French uh, Muslim community because it makes them seem less French than, you know, their other counterparts in other religions. For sure. Yeah. You really do see uh, President Macron target Muslims directly, as if we haven't seen maybe cases of like say white supremacy uh being like a big um threat recently to other countries too um you know it's it's very controversial to say the least oh uh, why do we see president macron taking such sudden and drastic actions toward the islamic community over some individuals actions you know are these actions justified? Well, I don't think that these actions specifically are justified. Um, you know, after an attack, it's expected that there is going to be some investigation into what happened and, you know, perhaps looking into him, his associates, you know, what radicalized him and to do such an action and all. But the Muslim community of France as a whole is not 
responsible for the actions of one person and to penalize the entire community in such a way seems very harsh. It also brings up the um, it also brings up fears of like a surveillance state in many ways because of the idea of monitoring these people for what is seen as being anti-French. Hmm. Like France, they definitely have a terrorism problem. Like there's no disputing that. Like in the last eight years, as Jackie mentioned before, there's been like 36 attacks and they've killed many people. But France also has the largest Muslim population in the Western world with almost 6 million people. And he, he says that these, that all of them have somehow he or he suggests that all of them have somehow failed to integrate or uh, assimilate to French culture, which really doesn't seem that plausible when there's almost six million people and they've been there for a long time. So when he so some of his policies are disbanding charities like Muslim charities like the Collective Against Islamophobia, which he wanted to, which his interior minister wanted to disband, and then another um, charity called Baraka City, which was disbanded a few weeks ago, which helps millions of people in France and around the world with uh, food and other stuff. And they've also conducted raids of uh, people like uh, leaders of Muslim organizations, and they arrested one leader, the leader of Baraka City, but they released him because they found no evidence. And they even closed down a mosque because like someone who goes to the mosque um, released a video on Facebook criticizing the teacher before he was killed. So they thought that somehow the whole mosque was somehow involved, and then they closed down a mosque. That doesn't seem like that's really stopping terrorism. The, the failure seems to be on the part of French intelligence more so than on the, the fault being on um, the Muslim population of France. For sure. And if I may add on real quick to what Hamza said, um, a, the best way really to identify people that are radical uh, Muslims is by having good relations with the community as a whole and encourage them to identify and report. You know, by criminalizing the whole community, you just make them less likely to turn to the government and report these issues. Definitely. Now, it's a couple quick points. Um, Hamza did mention, he said he feels like it's a failure on the French intelligence um, side. And I mean, just just for the sake of argument, I guess that's why the French government is saying that they want to up their um defenses and you know kind of uh, monitor social media more so that's something you know that they do seem to be trying to focus on um starting now which you know could have been done maybe a couple years back if it's already been an ongoing problem but then mark you do bring up like an amazing point that they do need to be closer to their community and the, the people of the community would be the ones to point out the people who have say extremist views because it's not only going to affect um the people who these extremists harm but if it affects the community as well so you know i think do we think maybe this is like this could be a mental health issue as well. Do we feel like maybe this could be like, you know, extremists come in many forms. Again, as I was saying before, we see like kind of white supremacy um, extremists. And it's just kind of like, it could happen in type of, say, um, passion that someone has that just obviously takes it to the extreme. So if they're not providing types of, 
remedies like this, like free health screening, um, mental health screening, or maybe a hotline where people feel more comfortable, like calling in and saying like, you know what, I love this person, I really care about them, but I think they're kind of going overboard. And, you know, I think maybe that's something that they could really consider. Yeah, yeah great suggestions right there. Because I think a lot of radicalization happens due to alienation and finding something online. So a lot of online radicalization happens because people feel like their group is being demonized. So they find a home online and they get more and more radicalized. And then this leads them to do like drastic actions, which normal people you wouldn't would do those kind of things. But it happens slowly. It doesn't happen suddenly. And it's not the fault of any religion. It's because of the, the policies and other uh, ways like media portrayal and other things that can lead to these. As Hamza said, uh, you know, it has to do, I think, in large parts, alienation, people feeling like they're not at home in the country that they grew up in. And so they look for alternatives. And if you grow up in, say, the Muslim community and you feel like, you know, the people you grew up around hate you, you know, you're, I think, more likely to say, well, I'm not the problem. They're the problem and then start going down that path. And I think one thing that France has really failed to do is try and uh, extend a hand to the Muslim community of France and try and you know, meet them halfway, really. Yeah, and, and that's kind of what happened with this, um, this teacher from the high school that got beheaded, where it was that it was kind of an online community kind of um, tracking him down and just keeping up with what he's been saying, which they felt very offended by. And, you know, this online community just had enough and went after him. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's crazy. And, and when you mentioned, Mark, that um, you're not allowed to deny the Holocaust, but you're allowed to make fun of, uh, of uh, say, the, um, Muhammad, it's kind of, it, it really is going, you know, being very biased about it. Uh, do we think that President Macron is trying to make up for his old presidency by cracking down on Islamic quote-unquote extremists? Say, with his corona response, the economy, and or there's an upcoming presidential election too that's happening in over a year from now? Do we see him just trying to crack down more because he wants to seem more likable to the French community. I think Absolutely. so. Yeah, you can go, Mark. Okay. So I, I think he is. You know, there's um, certainly one of the main things that's been reported about Macron is that he feels very insecure about his standing as far as French national security. A lot of people see him as being weak on that issue, and I think that he feels that that could be a deciding factor between him and his main opponent, uh, Le Pen. And so I think his thought process is that if I can crack down on this and appear strong on national security, then it will win me re-election. You know, uh, I think that you know you also point out make good points that. He has been, he hasn't done the best job at dealing with COVID. You know, it's no American response, but it's not been great. And, uh, you know, the economy in France has 
suffered. And I don't think that, I, I think it could also serve for him to, as a distraction, but if it could also end up hurting him if he does try and pivot this way and then not gain any ground regardless. Yeah, he's like, I agree with that. Like, he, I think this is definitely a political move on Macron's part because since his election in 2017, his popularity has really taken a nosedive and he's been tests for weeks and uh, about like pension reform and other plans that he had for France, which he couldn't implement. And he's also been accused of promoting police brutality towards protesters and other things. So he's not the most popular guy in France right now. And according to polls, he's tied with the far right politician, Marine Le Pen, who leads the National uh, Front Party or National Rally Party in France, which would be infinitely worse than Macron for, for the Muslim community if she were to get elected, because she, she has been Islamophobic her entire career, basically built on that. And so he's afraid that he's going to lose to her in the 2022 election because she's becoming more popular when she's criticizing him for his weakness in response to uh, tax, uh, attacks by Islamic terrorists. And yeah, so he just wants to consolidate his own power, and that's why he's doing this now. Thank you, Hamza. Yeah, for sure. Seems like, you know, it's, if he does something, I mean, it's good that he's doing something about it, obviously, but it's just the way he goes about it is really just how it's going to determine his future. Really, do we see these proposals working in the long term? What could be done better? What can be done differently if we were to give some more suggestions? Uh, you know, instead of saying that the problem is that Islam is, you know, needs to be reformed to be able to fit France, you need to say, okay, where are there issues between, you know, how can we better work with the community to make everyone better off as a whole. You know, mostly just, I think, reach out to the community and, you know, build up connections, uh, set up ways to be able to anonymously report people that might end up being radicalized. And I think better intelligence on the matter, you know, uh, so you would support them monitoring monitoring um, online things? Should there be like keywords that they're, they should be looking for? Probably. Probably. Mm-hmm, definitely. Well, I definitely agree that um, with his idea of integration, that's, that's definitely a good goal to have. Like the Muslim community should feel a part of France. They shouldn't feel like they're the enemy which France's interior minister, Gerald, Dar Gerald Darmanin, he's repeatedly made Islamophobic comments and he's called Islam the enemy within. And he suggested banning halal food and headscarves as if halal food is causing terrorism or headscarves mm -hmm. are like hijabs. Like these are some of these policies just make no sense and they're just blatantly political. But there are good policies like uh, funding more education so that people can get, be more involved in the French community if they need to be. and really just the, the rhetoric needs to be focused more on inclusion rather than exclusion because then they'll they, they that, that will really like that and more counterterrorism as well intelligence and all that stuff that's good but the demonization of muslims and attacking islam that's 
not going to work and that's going to honestly make their situation much worse. Sure. If I, if I may add on real quick, I think one of the main issues France faces right now is a very rigid concept of what secularization is. Uh, to them, secularization is no display of any kind of religious affiliation. Uh, though, if you honestly, if you told me that they were, you know, more forgiving of Christian symbols, I'd believe you. Yeah. They probably are, but like, you know, in general, it's this idea that you shouldn't display religious affiliation. You should be uh, allowed to say whatever about religion and I think that that idea is helping to cause conflict between yeah. the Islamic community and France. It's almost like they're pushing that too much. It's like yeah. we we understand, especially us being Americans and being here, uh, we understand that people want their liberty, their freedoms. So that's huge here. So I'd understand why it's also huge in France as well. But it's almost like they're, you know, it's just con it's you can't have freedom of religion if it's just in your home, right? Like that's not freedom of religion if it's just in your home. Recently, they, uh, it was like the past year they were banned, banning um, the burqa. Yes, they were banning the burqa because they were scared of um, terrorist terrorist attacks or something. And but you know now in the age of COVID-19, you have to kind of cover your face. And now, you know, you're still not allowed to wear the burqa, but you're allowed to wear a mask. And now it's just so ironic, these laws that they're putting into place. And it's just, it's kind of just blatantly just, you know, just um, productive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is the Muslim people's reaction in France and across the globe to these new restrictions? So, all right, so Muslims are really afraid in France as Islamophobia is on the rise now. Like two women, a few weeks ago, they were stabbed near the Eiffel Tower by two French women, and they were called dirty Arabs because they were wearing head scarves. Mm -hmm. And um, people around, Muslims around the world have also been protesting. 40,000 people marched in Bangladesh, and even in Palestine and Egypt and across the Middle East, uh, people are burning pictures of President Macron, and they're like protesting because they feel like they're they're defending their prophet. And Turkey's president even said that President Macron needs mental treatment. So he's really like made the situation tough. Yes, for sure. You know, I mean, as Hamza was saying, a lot of French people or a lot of French Muslims are terrified about what's going on. And you're seeing outrage across the uh, Muslim community abroad, you know, not just like in the Middle East, but like you're seeing boycotts of French goods go into, you know, mm -hmm. just about every Muslim country. Um, do we believe that the boycotts called upon um, French goods by the Turkish president um, and the Muslim majority countries will impact President Macron's decision and how he'll continue to go about making these decisions? Well, I remember reading about how something similar was attempted uh, in regards to an event that Denmark in the early 2000s, where I forget what happened in Denmark, but uh, many Muslim people took offense to how Denmark was going about it. And so they all band together and boy, uh, boycotted Danish goods. And in the end, it 
ended up not really impacting Denmark a whole lot, and it just ended up being a little blip on the map. So in the end, I don't think that boycotting French goods alone will have impact, especially in the era of COVID, where you know you're. Well, I don't. Um, well, I don't think it's directly going to affect Macron's political ambitions because he's come out as stronger than ever in support of French secularism and French ideals, and he has not. He's even um, re- recalled, uh, I, I believe he's recalled ambassadors from Turkey and other, uh, he's called for sanctions against Turkey at the EU. Why do we think that this boycott was so strongly directed, like just at just at France, when we've seen situations where other nations have targeted Islam? You know, we've just seen a lot of situations where um, other predominantly white countries have attacked Islam. and. You know, we we don't see as much uh, of backlash from these Muslim countries as we are seeing right now to France. I think it's both political and economic. The countries that are pushing the uh, boycott and, you know, it's Turkey, you know, primarily and Erdogan has had a rivalry with France for a little while now because it, it's pointed out that Erdogan has a, a very has very strong Islamic beliefs and that France in many ways is what he sees as being wrong with like Europe as a whole. You know, France is kind of emblematic of what he sees as all the major problems with Europe. I think it also kind of plays to local Turkish politics, as in many ways, founder of modern Turkey, uh, Ataturk, he had based a lot of his, uh, he based a lot of his concepts of Turkey in a similar style to what France has, and Erdogan has largely been fighting kind of against many of these ideas. And so I think that as far as politically, you know, it is largely to do with this kind of rivalry of ideas as to the role of government and Islam in society and secularism and all that. Economically, I think that the reason that, say, the U.S. and China tend to get more leeway with what they do is that in the case of China, they're one of the biggest funders of development projects in the Middle East, you know. And so I think that they get a lot of leeway because if nations start criticizing them, those funds might start drying up. And in the U.S. The case of the U.S., the U.S. has close ties with many major powers in the Middle East, like Saudi Arabia and the UAE. If they started criticizing us again, we might start distancing ourselves from them. So I think it's kind of both political. France doesn't have the same kind of economic resources poured into the Middle East. And it's also kind of this rivalry of political ideas. Thank you, Mark. That's great points. Hamza, anything to add to that? Yeah, well, I definitely agree with the fact that it's political. I don't think Erdogan cares at all about Islam or defending Muslims. I think he just cares about his own political position because he wants to distract from the fact that Turkey's economy is in terrible shape right now. Like the Turkish lira is um, going, is it, its value is at the lowest it's ever been right now. And he hasn't responded well to the coronavirus either. And he just wants to protect himself, just like Macron too. Erdogan should not be given any credit. He's just another authoritarian strongman. And he, he completely bows to whatever China wants, but he he's letting them get away with genocide. He has not made a single comment about that, but he, when over some drawings, he's 
he's up, up, up in arms questioning uh, Macron's mental capacity and everything. And the same goes with every Muslim leader across the Middle East. None of them really care about Islam, or most of them, I should say, really don't care about protecting Islam. They just want to appeal to their political base and their religious uh, civilians. The civilians, I think, do care. That's why they're protesting, and that's good. But their leaders should not be given any credit. Like champions of the Muslim world, they just political. Um, they just care about their own political experience. Thank you, Hamza. Yeah, that's a great point, and that's why I really thought that that was a question lingering in my mind, and maybe to some of our listeners' mind. Now let's tune in to this week's rundown, brought to us by our briefer Jackie. Um, According to BBC, Joe Biden called for unity in his victory speech on Friday night. He proclaimed that it's the time to heal the soul of America, and that at our best, America is a beacon for the globe. However, President Trump has yet to concede to the election result. At 4.53pm on Saturday, November 7th, he tweeted that the observers were not allowed into the counting rooms. I won the election, got 71 million legal votes. Bad things happened, which our observers were not allowed to see. Never happened before. Millions of mail-in ballots were sent to people who never asked for them." End quote. Speaking of elections, according to NHK World, vote counting has begun for Myanmar's general election. Nearly 500 parliamentary seats are up for grabs. This marks a historic moment for this nation, as it is only Myanmar's second democratic election since the end of its oppressive military rule. According to Reuters, the global coronavirus tally has now passed 50 million, with a quarter of these infections coming from a spike during the past 30 days. October was the worst month for the pandemic so far, 100,000 daily cases in the United States. Although the cases continue to rivals globally, the Europe, Latin America, India, and the United States are seeing the most severe outbreaks. According to Al Jazeera, Armenia and Azerbaijan have reached a tentative peace agreement due to a deal brokered by Russia. This treaty agreed that Armenia must peacefully withdraw from the Nagorno-Karabakh territory. However, it triggered further protests and unrest in Armenia as this agreement is contested. According to Al Jazeera, Ethiopia may be heading toward a civil war as tensions increase between the region of Tigray and the Ethiopian capital, Addis Ababa. Despite the federal government's calls to postpone all state elections due to the coronavirus, Tigray went forth with the state elections. This incited further tensions between the two regions, which may lead to a civil war. Thank you, Jackie. All right, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for updates on upcoming shows. This show couldn't be made possible without executive producer Bella Fisher, assistant producer Jared Dang, technical producer Brittany Segarra, assistant technical producer Jason Marieski, and our interview producer Team Fan. I'm your host, Valentina Orejarena, and I thank you for tuning in. The Global Current is brought to you by the School of Diplomacy and International Relations at Seton Hall University. Be sure to tune in every Sunday at 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time on 89.5 FM WSOU. See you soon.